Welcome back to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. This is a show where we try and figure out how to get better at doing the hard stuff that makes life exciting. Now, obviously, we're in a pretty interesting situation here at the moment. It's very uncomfortable. So I think this this conversation here is quite timely, actually. I'm talking to Grant Pritchard, who is an in-house lawyer, technology enthusiast, and workplace mental health advocate who works at Spark. Spark are New Zealand's leading telecommunications, media and digital services company for those of you not from New Zealand. Grant leads Spark's thriving workplace mental health community and he's working to inspire other Kiwi organisations to take a fresh look at how they do mental health at work, which is even more valuable in the current climate as well. So we have a, a lot of conversation about mental health, how we can work on that, the reasons that led Grant to this area of work um, and why he's so passionate about it. The conversation does get reasonably heavy at points in time and with that in mind feel free to not listen to it if you find that that you're feeling a little bit triggered. Maybe save it for a later date but there are a fantastic amount of, of gold nuggets in this as well. So if you have the capacity to listen to it, then go for it. And we give you a heads up in the conversation as well about things that you can be doing if you are triggered by some of the information. So Grant prefaces his stories with this is where you go to help, go to get help. So have a go. Would love to see hear what you think about it. I hope you're all staying safe staying home staying well and dealing with this discomfort in a reasonable way thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with grant and i today Grant Pritchard, welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. How are you doing today, mate? Kia ora, Chris. I'm well in the circumstances. Thank you yeah. for asking. Grant, I usually like to kick things off just with a little bit of background about people. Um, where were you born? Where did, where did you grow up? Where did you come from? I was born in the mighty Waikato. So I um, grew up in Hamilton, um, schooling there, university there, and then adventured down to Wellington for a few years, Melbourne for a few more years, and then now back in Auckland for the last five years. Nice. And what do you remember from your your early years or your your youthful years, maybe, uh, that as formative experiences that have that have pushed you towards the path that you're on at the moment? That's a great question, Chris. I um, I don't think I was really reflective on this topic specifically as it related to growing up in New Zealand until relatively recently, probably even in the last few years. But certainly growing up, I don't feel like we really thought about or cared about mental health. And it certainly wasn't something for me that was top of mind in high school. Um, You know, PE and um, that kind of learning was sports and training and, you know, sex ed and really not much else. And so I guess in high school, I did lose a classmate to suicide. 
he was a year ahead of me. Um, we were in the same uh, musical together and um, the night after the show finished, he ended his life. And at the time as a sort of year 12, if I'm using the right <laughs> terminology these days, as a year 12 kid, I, I didn't really know how to process that, if I'm being honest. And all I could see was the people in his year level who were really struggling to come to terms of what had happened. And part of his struggles had been around bullying. And so there was a really a tough time for the year 13s at my school um, back in 1996, now that I'm really old. But I think, you know, now that I'm involved in this space and have lost another person who was reasonably close to me um, in this way, it certainly was formative. And I just, it might be worth just, just pausing there just to, I guess, from my perspective, I'm here to talk about mental health and mental well-being, and that includes talking about topics like um, self-harm or suicide. And so if this is a struggle for any of your listeners, um, it's okay to pause this. It's okay to skip this episode if, if this is bringing up some tough stuff for you. And if you want to listen in, um, I'll try and keep it really positive too. But it's okay to, to take a break if you need to, or to reach out to 1737 anytime, including pausing this podcast so that you can get some help um, from a trained counsellor. And thank, thank you for that message as well, Grant. Um, yeah, I think, it's, uh, I think it's valuable. But I, th I also think it's valuable to be talking openly and honestly about topics like this as well. Um, because if we, as I think New Zealanders have previously done, push them to the, to the shadows, then we don't end up addressing them and the, and the, uh, the problem around this just uh, continues mm. to perpetuate. I, I, I agree a hundred percent. And I, I feel like, you know, we're on a bit of a journey as a country and in a ways, you know, our, um, we're, we're, you know, if you look at New Zealand, we're around the world, we're number one for anti-corruption. We're great at rugby and sailing. And we're also, um, you know, right up there um, in the developed countries in terms of, of, of suicide and, and youth suicide. And so um, something's a little wrong here. Uh, about how we're dealing with this topic in New Zealand, or it has been, and, and other countries are facing into this as well, and are encountering um, issues uh, with mental health. Um, but I really feel like you know it's a it's it's a it's a Kiwi thing actually. Some of the stuff, um, some of it's a some of some of the the drivers behind this are around you know uh, poverty, social exclusion, age, gender. And even just looking at our men, you know, there's a reason why our men are ending their lives by suicide at three to four times the rate of our women. And, you know, a big part of that is even just as guys growing up, not having a proper emotional toolkit, being a human, but being conditioned to not accept parts of your humanity. So you can be aggressive and competitive and excited and um, happy and aloof, but you can't. Um, kind of show your full range of, of emotional capabilities as a human and you, you shut those down. And so you can't be regretful or fearful or weak or show any vulnerability, I guess, um, to the people around you. And what that results in for our men is a really tough mental space for them where they have to be, feel like they're Superman or that they're bulletproof. 
until they aren't and until they do um, really find themselves in a tough spot. And I, I think that's a big area for us. And, we, 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 you know, you would have seen in the last couple of years, these conversations are really starting to open up. And I love that. I love it. And, and then now it's, and what are we going to do now? I think, you know, now that people are starting to talk about it, now what are we going to do about it? And so I'm really um, excited and uh, reassured by some of the stuff that we're seeing in the public sector, um, the suicide prevention office, the wellbeing budget, we're actually starting to invest in mental health, but everyone's got a little role to play, you know, as mm. individuals, as family units, uh, communities, sports teams, and the workplace at university and schools to create a more mentally healthy future for ourselves and the people that we care about around us. And that starts with understanding our own mental health better and being able to talk about it in a stigma-free environment. So that's, that's really what, I, what I'm here to, to do. Mm. Awesome, man. And yeah, I, I think the, the point that you made about, um, especially, especially young men in, in New Zealand as well, and I'm sure it, it does also happen in a lot of other places, is but we do repress those, those emotions that, yeah, aren't happy, angry, hungry, tired um <laughs> those, those typical the the big four i think um for for guys and like we repress them as we're growing up and as we're learning to as our emotions are developing and as we're learning how to deal with them as well and um i mean the the male brain i think keeps developing until you're about 25 years old so if you were if you're repressing those those emotions for a long period of time probably from the time you're I don't know, somewhere between five and 10, um, that the stuff, that the stuff starts, then you've got 20 years of, of work to catch up on, to start to develop your ability to understand these emotions, to feel them, um, and then to have an appropriate response to them as well, which is, um, rather than, trying to funnel them down into one of the other uh one of the other options and and often that is yeah that ends in frustration or anger um in in this setting yeah and i i think you know i would love to see because this is actually it's a big problem that no one thing's going to fix i feel like um we really need mandatory mental health curricula at all levels of education and that doesn't mean suicide training for five-year-olds that means starting with stuff that's great for their age that's teaching them about their emotional vocabulary about dealing with failure conflict bullying all that kind of stuff and building so that by the time they're into high school they've got somewhat of a toolkit they can express themselves their stuff they feel as a normal human, they don't just shove it down all the time. And their responses, you know, if you, if you shove it down, eventually it'll burst out some other way in a, in a way that's really unhealthy. And that, as you say, you, you noted, it can be an aggression response. It can be um, depression. It can be mm. suicidality. And I think, um, you know, we should be nailing this in our schools and we're not. And we should be building on that in our universities. And I have spoken to university students all over New Zealand and we are not knowing that. So my heart is to see a 101 mental health and wellbeing course that's mandatory across every university, polytech, 
in New Zealand. And that's, that's not happening yet, but you better believe that that's going to help, right? Because otherwise what's happening is they're not learning in primary and intermediate schools at a sort of scaffolding level where you take their age, figure out what they need to know, and then just keep building on that. They're not doing any growth in this area at university and they're turning up in the workforce usually and joining a bunch of other people who are just like them and don't know how to talk about how they're feeling, don't know how to get the right help early, aren't tuned into how the people in their world are doing so that they can check in and see that they're okay and be a great signpost to support for that person. And so there's some structural issues around how we think about and teach about mental health in New Zealand and in other Anglosphere countries around the world. And I, I just, you know, that's why I do work in the workplace. And I'm also doing some work with, with um, university students. I haven't turned my eye of Sauron onto schools yet, uh, but that might come eventually. But I think, you know, workplaces, they are uniquely positioned and there's a really understated and, and unappreciated strength in workplaces around what they can do for their people from a capability perspective. And so that's why I'm so passionate about this because, you know, Workplaces have got learning and development teams, health and safety, HR, budgets. Um, and so there's a, a huge opportunity for workplaces to really step up in this area. And when they do it, um, like I've seen at Spark and in other workplaces now, the effects on the individual employees and their whanau, their family, could not be more profound. So that's, you know, that's why I, you know, I got interviewed for a newsroom article and it didn't come back at me for any kind of checks after the interview. It was just sort of off the cuff. And the published headline was workplace mental health, the final frontier. And I just, um, <laughs> I looked at that and I was like, no, 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 you've got that completely wrong. It could not be more wrong because the workplace could be the first frontier for better mental health for our people. And Grant, I mean, you, you mentioned at the start losing a, a classmate to suicide, but actually it's only been reflecting on that in mm. the last few years that that's actually uh, an important part of your journey. What, what got you down this, this workplace or the mental health journey, specifically workplace mental health journey, um, mm. more recently, further down the track? Yeah, look, I think, you know, it was the mid-90s at that time. I don't know whether a school response to losing a student like that would be the same these days. I hope it wouldn't be, but there was certainly not kind of an overt discussion with anybody who didn't absolutely need to know about what was happening. And so I just kind of shoved that down <laughs> as you do. Mm. And I moved on in a way that meant that I kind of got blindsided in Australia when I was working at a big telco there called Telstra and a good workmate of mine. And we had worked together in the legal team there. I'm an in-house lawyer at Spark and I was an in-house lawyer at Telstra which is Australia Spark <laughs> um, and we you know we worked together for six years and and for a big part of that time we were within a couple of meters of each other and we got on well and you know she was a very senior lawyer there and I caught up with her in late 2014 just before Christmas for an hour and we had a catch-up and she spent most of that time because she was a, a leader this is a senior lawyer this isn't um, just anyone this is a, a very important person in that team and she spent the whole time coaching me and lifting me up and I didn't realize at the time that she definitely wasn't okay and she on reflection and I don't blame myself and, and some of your listeners may have been in a situation where you've 
been around someone, a friend, a loved one, and they've, you've lost them to suicide and you were around them beforehand and you might be piling some guilt on around whether or not you could have done more. And I don't hold any um, regrets about that. I've just made decisions based on that about how I'm going to roll moving forward because I didn't see the signs and there were definitely signs that she was not okay. And if, if we'd had that conversation today with the skills and the knowledge and the confidence that I've got around mental health conversations, we would have had such, sorry, we would have had such a different conversation because, you know, coming out of that, I just promised myself and I've stuck by this that I'm never going to walk past somebody who, you know, trust your spidey senses, trust your gut. If you think somebody around you at work or home isn't doing okay, it's okay to ask them. And I will always do that. <laughs> and I've never, you know, I think Kiwis are, this is another kind of natural risk factor for us. We're so passive. Mm. We never want to get up in each other's business, especially at work. We never want to be vulnerable. We never want to open up. We don't want to be nosy. And so everybody's just really passive and that can um, present itself in different harmful ways in the workplace, whether it's about a new idea and nobody really being honest about the fact that they didn't really like that idea and just nodding. And then over the next few weeks, torpedoing that idea because <laughs> um, they don't want to talk about it. Conflict avoidance to the max until it just completely unravels. And so that happens with mental health. People don't want to get up in each other's business. They say, who am I? Who am I to be getting up and being nosy with this person? And what if, what if they are offended? What if I upset them? What if I've got the wrong end of the stick? I would just say push straight past that and get in there and ask, ask them if they're doing okay. And you don't need to do the Spanish Inquisition. You can't force people to talk to you. But that, for me, um, that was the real moment, coming back to the question you actually asked, where I was like, you know, this has happened a couple of times to me now. What am I going to do about it? And I always will ask somebody if I think they're not okay. And I will push past their normal deflections. Like, I think, you know, five years ago, if you'd asked me if I was okay and I'd kind of wasn't I would just deflect you I'd say yes mm. I'm fine I'm well I'm great what did you do on the weekend did you catch the all blacks match did you and just pivot onto some other topic that means I don't need to talk about how I'm actually doing and so you can push past that <laughs> as, a, as an individual how do you like from a practical perspective how do you push past that in a way that uh, isn't so confronting that people either run away or just get really defensive yeah, I think it depends on the context and your relationship too. So, um, you know, you might find that in certain situations, if you know somebody who's much closer to that person, you can have a quiet chat with them and say, look, I'm just a bit worried about such and such. He or she's, you know, normally like this. And this is kind of what I've noticed. And I'm just, I care about them, but I'm not close enough to have that conversation. I, I personally don't use that approach. I just dive right in. Um, but I think, I think when you come... Um, from a, a position of empathy and compassion and curiosity and wanting to, and caring. You want to know this person is okay because you've noticed something that is, has you worried. Um, if you're their boss, you have to be really careful about that, right? Because, you know, that could be something that they see as a threat to their employment. You know, they may have, you know, you won't see the what in the workplace. Sorry, you won't see the why. You'll see the what. So they may be really crabby in meetings, but actually their partner's got terminal illness or their child has got a, a drug addiction. Well, there could be all the stuff going on in the background that you don't see. And so 
you can say, and I'm at work, I, I will almost always do this. I'm saying, look, I'm taking my lawyer hat off now. And I just, I care about you. And I just want to make sure you're okay. You know, I've noticed this thing's happening. Like you're not, um, you're not your cheery usual self. And I just want to make sure that you are able to talk to somebody about this. We can have a chat off the record. Um, and I'm not here to judge. I'll just listen if you need someone to chat to, but you don't need to talk to me. If you want to talk to somebody else, that's cool. Or I can get you connected with EAP or another service. Or if you don't want to talk, is there someone in your world who you trust? Because I just want to make sure that you are okay and that you're getting the help you need. It's not about you should, you should. It's not mm -hmm. about forcing them to talk to you. It's about asking and following up when they say, yeah, I'm fine. Cause you can say, I'm, I, I just, I, I care about you. I'm a, bit, I'm a bit worried about you because of this. And, you know, if you're really okay, that's cool. I just, if you need to talk and you can say, you can talk to somebody else if you need to, but if you change your mind, I'm here for you as a, a listener and a support for you. I'm not a professional counselor, but I, I care for you and I want to help get you connected with the right support for you if you need to, or if you just need someone to talk to, I'm here for you. Come grab me. And that, can sow a bit of a seed in that person that in some cases I've had people reach back out to me and say, you know how I said I was fine. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually not fine. And that's been amazing because you've just opened a door, whether it's to them asking their dad for help or calling 1737 or their employer's EAP service or talking to you or somebody else that dropping the barrier for asking for help is really big. I think. Mm, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And okay, I think another thing to add there is that if they if they do the honour of actually opening up to you as well, is that often often people just want someone to listen to them as well, and it's it's not your role to try and solve their problems, and it's definitely not your role to try and judge what's going on for them as well. And I think that's where. Mm again kind of the, the walls start to come up and the um that, that threat response kicks off in people is if we're if we're doing too much problem solving or if we're um or, or if we are judgmental as well um and i mean I, I do a little bit of work with people about building resilience in, in others and, and and one of the big things is, is trying to drop that being very curious about the why and what why things are happening but also understanding that everyone has a different lens, a different perspective that they view the world through as well. Um, and, mm -hmm. and it's, it's different to ours because of their background, because of the actions that they've taken, because of the decisions that they've made and the, the environmental influences, but that doesn't mean that it's wrong. So what we would think, um, Oh, that's a bit weird. Or why, why the hell uh, did you take that course of action on it? Um, that's a that's a very valid response from people as well. So it, it's trying it it's trying not to uh, allow that to show forward as we're listening to people as well. I I I could not agree more. And you know, I read an article a few months ago about this um, high school counselor in the US who traditionally, you know, she would people would come to see her the teenage angsts the mm. end of the world relationship breakup, all the stuff, the tough stuff you go through as a teenager. So young kids would come to her with their problems and then she would see herself as the person who had to solve them. And yeah. she just had somebody talk to her and give her some insights into how she could 
create better outcomes for them. And so she stopped trying to solve those problems. And she actually put a snow globe in her office and they would come into her office and she would just be with them. She would like just pause and be like, you know, this, these feelings you have, I feel your feelings and, and I can see that you're really upset and this is a tough time. We don't need to fix all this now. These emotions, these horrible feelings that you're having right now, they won't, they are impermanent and she will get them to grab that snow globe and just give it a little shake and, and basically talk them through how your um, level of emotional turmoil that's going on in your brain is a bit like a snow globe, you know, can be really calm. You can give it a bit of a jiggle and it, the snow pops up and settles back down. But if you just keep shaking it and keep shaking and keep shaking, then it can get quite noisy in there. And so her time invested in just being with them, not doing with them and not trying to get into solution mode is really powerful. And for me, that's naturally what I do. <laughs> like I want to solve everyone's problems. So, mm. you know, you're absolutely right to say, let's, let's put listening right at the top of that listening being with them you don't have to have a to-do list for them you can just be there with them through this as a listener as a gentle support because you can't you're not you're not a psychotherapist you're not a psychologist you're not a psychiatrist you probably won't be a trained counselor but you can be a human <laughs> mm. and you can be there for them um, in a way that could be very impactful even though you're not solving their problems you're creating space for them to reframe their own mindset to um, have some a sense of self-revelation about what they could do that is going to improve their situation rather than presenting the, them with a long kind of you should list. Yeah. Um, and Grant, from a, like, from a practical perspective, we're just looping back around to how all of this work started for you. Like, where did you begin with it? Yeah, look, I mean, we, you know, my workmate Lucy that we lost, you know, I had to, part of our catch up was her saying to me, some of the stuff you're doing, this legal stuff, it's really exciting. And why don't you speak at this conference I'm organizing in Melbourne in a few months time. And so I had to stand up at this conference that she'd organized that was called more than a lawyer <laughs> and talk about cool, innovative stuff I'd been doing around the law. Um, <laughs> you know, for most people, that's like watching paint dry, but I spent, I spent um, a minute blubbing my way through a bit of an acknowledgement of her and who she was and what she meant to the people around her at work. And then, you know, 45, 50 minutes on this other stuff and nobody, nobody wanted to talk to me about legal innovation. They all wanted to talk to me about Lucy and what they could do. And so um, I then promptly moved back to New Zealand and was like, you know what? I'm not going to do nothing. That's the one thing I'm not going to do is nothing in the space. And I'm not going to work somewhere that says nothing and does nothing about mental health. And if there's one thing that, you know, your listeners who may be in a university, you may be in a workplace, you may be in some other environment where you are day to day, week to week, have a think about what is my workplace or my school or environment? Like, what are they saying and what are they doing about mental health? And if you don't like the answer to that question, what are you going to do about it? Because for me, that meant that I said, you know what, we could do more. Um, and I just, you know, we had like a work kind of offsite, an unusual 
it's called an unconference. It's a bit googly. There's no agendas. There's no keynote speakers. You just turn up with a bunch, in my case, of Spark workmates, randomly selected for maximum thought diversity. And then you add another 40 people, say, so there's about 120 total, 40 not from Spark, from big banks, high schools, um, startups, um, small business owners, people close to retirement. And you can just talk about anything you like. And at that event, I said, hey, how might we? How might we make Spark a more mentally healthy workplace? And that session there was just something very special that happened in November 2017 where people were just standing up at this event just sharing their stories and there were laughs and tears and we kind of got to the end of it and you know in these unconference kind of it's like a weekend camp <laughs> you like sleep on the floor and do cool stuff and you know um, you can talk about anything but 80% or 70% of the people at that unconference they were at that event and we got to the end of it and we're like well what are we going to do uh, so often at like a conference or a work event you'll meet really neat people you'll make these great connections and you'll learn cool stuff but then you'll go away and those connections and those things you've learned they fade over time without you doing anything meaningful with them and i i think um that's why we really started something. We said, we are not going to go back and say, wasn't that a great unconference? <laughs> and now onto my next project, not on my next thing. And so we just started a little conversation and there was sort of a handful of us. And then that became 60 and then 600. And now, you know, more than one in 10 people at Spark are in our mental health community. And they are learning more about their own mental health, becoming specialists in their own mental health. They are connecting with others, smashing the stigma, asking for help early, sharing resources, helping each other. And, you know, it, it could not have been more profound in terms of the positive impact on our, even our work culture, like the mental health at Spark um, community. It started off as this kind of, as I say, it started off as a handful of us. It was a bit of a, a guerrilla movement <laughs> for better mental health at work. And it just became bigger than being heard because everybody cared about it. You know, it was driven and fueled by people's desires to create a more mentally healthy workplace. And so now it's huge. It's, it's got top-down support from senior management and it's helping our people not just at work, but also at home. And so, you know, we, our goals, our goal is to make Spark New Zealand's most mentally healthy workplace. And that's a pretty lofty goal, but it's okay to aim high. And I think... You know, wherever you are, whether, whether you're learning, you're um, in the workforce or you're doing other things, you, could, you can aim for the sun, aim for the stars and just see how close you can get. And, and I think that the, the big thing in this space is being unafraid to take little steps that are going to help get you there because how on earth, you know, we, we could never have foreseen how this movement could have developed over these last two years. But... We are constantly trying new things. We are trimming the sails and keeping what works and we are leaving what doesn't. And so we've just got this growing body of initiatives and tools. We've developed some world-class online learning that's available to every Spark staff member, no matter where they are or what they do, they can learn a bit about mental health and fill their boots in, their, in, a, in a time that suits them. Um, and then those skills and that knowledge, they're not leaving it at work. And that is probably the, 
the single most surprising outcome from this is that halo effect of, of people not leaving their mental health vocabulary and skills and knowledge at work and using them in their personal life, whether that's to help themselves or to be a great bridge to support for somebody that they love, that, that is really why I talk about this stuff publicly. Because of the impact of community, that's the heart of this is about creating community and everything good in the workplace is, is flowing from that and is amplified by that. And then knowing that actually these skills and knowledge are helping in your home world, not just your work world. That is why I think workplaces can go right on the front foot with this stuff. And if we can change how we do mental health at work, we can change New Zealand. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, that's um, something I believe very strongly, as you can probably tell by the way I'm talking about it. It's just a huge opportunity and we could all just jump in a little bit. Yeah. And Mate, it's it's incredible what you're the the work that you're doing around this and uh, and the effects that it's having. And I was going to ask you what the, what is the thing that you're uh, most proud of about it, but I think that you've just articulated it there for me. Um, in terms of the the effect that it has, not just at work, but on on communities and how it's changing, uh, it's changing bubbles outside of of the workplace as well. Um. But what's the, what's the thing that you found most challenging about it? Yeah, I think, and this is probably, you know, I think mental health, as with physical health, it's kind of universal human condition. Mm. <laughs> We've, you know, four out of four of us have got mental health. One in five, sometimes one in four, depending on the stats you look at of us, will experience some form of mental distress or mental illness in any year. Half of us will be diagnosed with some kind of mental illness or suffer extreme mental distress during the course of our lives. So this is something that matters to all of us. But workplaces, as with any other group of humans, it's not a homogenous unit. And so that, I think the biggest challenge for me is being patient. Yeah. Knowing that um, it's okay to stay. The vision is big. The our heart is, is angling towards New Zealand's most mentally healthy workplace. We're not there yet. It's okay that we're not there yet. We're still learning. We'll still make mistakes, but you know, our heart is in the right place. We are, we are constantly doing the right thing. Every event initiative resource that we release is there's a, an unwritten rule that sits behind that. We call it the help not harm test internally. And, and you know, it doesn't matter if it'll be, reducing stigma or raising awareness or um, better supporting our people with their mental health or creating a more psychosocially supportive working environment. If it's going to be increasing risk factors for our people, you know, we don't want to be creating, <laughs> creating, you know, mental health and wellbeing risks in what we do. And so we are constantly looking at what we're doing to say, is this right? Is everything that we are doing, we want to help not harm. And, in, and with that said, um, workplaces aren't homogenous. And so every team, every individual is on their own journey in this space. And so this isn't, we're not in lockstep. We're not, <laughs> we haven't got mind control here where we can just say, now we will all be mentally healthy. Now you will all um, behave in a certain way and be able to ask for help early and check in with your workmates because you care about them. Like um, that's, that's kind of 
It's about relationships. And that's why this stuff is really hard, you know, compared to other topics in the kind of health, safety and well-being area. Like if you think about mental health and well-being, mental health and well-being are like twins, you know, twin brothers say. And well-being is like the handsome, um, easy to talk to, charismatic twin. And, and mental health takes a bit more work, can be a bit awkward, but um, very valuable. Um, and there's a lot of good stuff happening in that space. But I think that's that the hardest thing is um, is being patient um, and, and waiting for everyone to come on their own journey. This is New Zealand we're talking about. And so these things take time. People will often hang back and wait and see. And so that I found really, really affirming and encouraging seeing people starting to open up at Spark who previously haven't, even though we've been running at this for two years. But also in any workplace, how do you reach people where they are? That's another big challenge that I see that we're trying to solve. And again, we're doing a lot of micro experimenting at Spark in this space. And so we will keep constantly trying new things to see what will be most effective. And one of those things is being, you know, pre level four COVID-19 lockdown, a company, um, we were already national. We already had people from the North of the North to the bottom of the South. And now we're all working remotely. And so there can be in, in large workplaces that are geographically distributed a, um, a bit of a thing where if you're at head office or you're in the big centers, you know, Auckland or Wellington, you get a bit more love. You know, you hmm. get, it's easier to organize events in one place than to roadshow that really great practical inspirational speaker around the country. So how do you meet people where they are? And, and in this new world, how do we meet people at home <laughs> so that, so that they can get connected with each other and and start developing in the space. So that's those are the two things that I found um, the biggest challenge. Yeah, and I think the the reaching people is a is an interesting one because the same messaging isn't going to work for um, for people probably that live in Northland compared to the bottom of the people that live in Bluff as well. Is that you need to have a different different messaging for those people and then. Um, obviously you have quite a diverse workforce as well. So it's, it's how do you kind of mold, uh, mold the themes through that message to yeah. the different, um, the different audiences that you're talking to within the one company. I mean, you, you all have the commonality that, that you work for spark, but there are, there are so many differences as well. And it's, I think, um, it, it is, it's almost in that instance, having multiple, either people delivering the message, multiple ways to deliver the message or, and mm. um, yeah, mo multiple delivery modes, I guess, uh, with it, with with that common theme. Um, but that obviously uh, is, is challenged by working within a budget and working within timeframes as well as it would, it would be great to have every, uh, the message, a message delivered specifically to each individual um, in a different way that works for that person. But it's, yeah. it is, it's yep. more time consuming. You could have just spent the last two years working on that. Oh, I completely agree. But also, you know, I've been doing a lot of um, advocacy work in other industry groups and workplaces around New Zealand. And I'll give you one example. Um, so land corp, 
or they're called Pamu now. That's a New Zealand state-owned government farms, which I never realized existed until relatively recently. So the government owns farms all over the country and they are, have got teams of farmers. <laughs> and so talking to them about how might Pamu Land Corp do mental health better mm. in our workplace with our people based on what they do and, and where they are, that's wildly different to Spark. And so, you know, spending some time with those people, you, you get the sense that these solutions, they come from within, they don't come from wandering in and saying you should. <laughs> mm. They come from wandering in and having a deep listen and having a whiteboard and some post-its and pen up and, and learning, you know, if I just zoom in on one thing, a powerful enabler for better mental health and Spark as a workplace has been community. But how we do that in our workplace is going to be quite different to how you do it if you had farmers, if you had hundreds of farmers in isolated spots all around New Zealand. You know, you've got polar extremes. Spark is hyper-connected. We're a telco. Every, everyone's got a cell phone. Everyone's on Microsoft Teams and Office and they've all, it's hyper-connected, whereas farmers might not see someone for three weeks. So how do we create community for our farmers? Um, and that's it. There's, some, there's some stuff that's being unlocked right now around that. And again, it's about meeting your people where they are, not just creating something and saying, you know, here it is, fill your boots. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we, we haven't addressed the elephant in the room yet. Um, obviously, we're, we're in level four lockdown at the moment in New Zealand. So all of the stuff and delivering the stuff is, it has changed in the last what five, six days. How are you, how are you guys coping with that? How have you begun to pivot or how have you pivoted on it? Yeah. So as a workplace, you know, you won't see any of the internal spark staff communications, but they've been doing a really, really good job with working. How do we work together from afar? How do we, look out for each other? How do we give our staff, our people practical advice on how they can be not just being productive at home, but to be thriving at home? Thinking about, um, you know, like, and again, this is, this is where having a, a platform, a forum for sharing these ideas, like means that you can keep communicating this, communicating this stuff. So there's sort of in any big workplace, there'll be big email updaters that come out from time to time. And those can be really practical and useful, not just from a, you know, how might you run a meeting on Microsoft Teams or your collaboration software of choice, but also how do you be a good um, dad and mum and partner to the people you care about during this time so that you can come out the other side stronger as a family unit by focusing on, you know, listening, values, you know, having some ground rules for your family and how you treat each other, communicating really effectively as a family unit. And, you know, those little things, um, unfortunately, work and home have collided now in a way that is quite unprecedented. So I'm still finding my groove with this, right? I've got, you know, a big family at home, um, lots of stuff on, you know, panic buying, don't panic buy anyone. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, actually it, it's those basics and actually getting people to think about that is okay. You're now not being nosy because work is at home and home is at work. Like I'll have, I'll have, you know, cats wandering through 
walking over my keyboard. <laughs> I'm normally in like a nice, you know, clean white office. Um, but, you know, ground rules and patience and communication and creating peace and quiet and respecting people's spaces and trying to be positive, you know, being helpful where you can, like little acts, like around the home and being intentional around time you're spending together as well as time apart. You know, even for me, I'm used to having a half hour train ride every day where I like get myself grounded, get ready for work, get ready from work so that I'm present at home. All that stuff's just thrown out the window as I get up and eat my cereal and log in. And so mm. building that stuff in has been a big thing for us um, and for me as an individual. But from a mental health perspective, we still want to keep doing this stuff. It's a bit like if you're a conference speaker or you're organizing a conference, how might we do it? what would be most effective so that people can really get something out of this. And so great examples, Gumboot Friday. <laughs> Mike King, if you're listening, I really feel for you, buddy, because mm. last year, this time we were coming out in the back end of a horrific terror attack in Christchurch and Gumboot Friday. <laughs> and now it's happened again. We've got like a global pandemic and Gumboot Friday, but we've got, you know, little things. There's a team of volunteers at Spark who are saying, how might we? And so Gumboot Friday is still happening at Spark. We are matching donations from our staff. We are every, as of this morning, every screensaver on every Spark provided laptop is flashing up with messaging around Gumboot Friday, what it's all about, how can you get involved, how can you win a Galaxy S10 smartphone <laughs> if you're a Spark staff member, like just incenting people to get involved from where they are. Gumboots and Windows, you know, a photo contest, whether you're wearing your boots or decorating them. And so it's just this new normal and thinking creatively about how we can make that great. Cause it can still be great. It's just going to be different and just letting go of the expectations on ourselves and on each other, that things are going to be just as they were. They can be just as good as they were. They'll just be markedly different. Yeah. And one thing I noticed actually, and, and that was probably a slip of the tongue, but you, uh, the, the first word that you said before that was unfortunately, and uh, like a, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, misfortune that going on at the moment, obviously with the pandemic and how it's affecting how it's affecting people, um, not just from a health perspective, but also I think it's it, it, there's a duality in it. There's the misfortune, but there's also fortune as well that it that it gives us the opportunity to have a look at the way that we do things and and to start to understand things a little bit differently. Um, and moving forward, there's, there are massive opportunities to, to chat for change to happen in this period. Um, mm. and I think change, change for the better as well. Um, because we, we can always go back to what it was that we did, but the skills that we learn during this time period are going to, to layer on top of the, of the other things that we did. And I mean, like you, you look at it, uh, and I don't know if these, those uh, satellite pictures are true or not, but there's markedly reduced uh, emissions over a lot of the developed world as well, um, which I think is just is probably going to highlight a lot of environmental things for us. But this is also going to highlight mm. a lot of mental health um, aspects as well, and and ask a lot of questions about the way that we work in general. So I think the duality of, of misfortune in this situation, but also it's a, it's fortunate for us as a, as a human race. Um, 
in mm. that it cr- has created a, an opportunity for positive change as well. Definitely, definitely. There is, you know, there will be some positive externalities coming out of this. And, you know, our Kiwi stoic number eight wire mindset is a double-edged sword. But the positive thing is that, you know, we, we think and can do, we think we can do anything and we can do anything. And so it's a chance for reflection and innovation. And I think the world that comes out the other side of this in the months and years to come will be quite different to the one that we were living in six months ago. Mm. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, as you say, Um, even just the little things like I'm home for dinner every day now, you know, like just little things like, um, you know, even just geeky things like trying out Microsoft Teams for the first time, even though my workplace has had it for months and months (laughs) and I've been, you know, along with, you know, I imagine there'll be legal teams in other workplaces who are similarly, uh, similarly um, slow to pick up new technologies, but being forced to try something new and then going, wow, that was fantastic. Mm. <laughs> I'll just do that all the time now. So that, you know, even just at an individual learning development level, um, I think we will be coming out of this um, with some new skills, as you say, that are infinitely usable and we may change how we do things. Yeah. And even if it's just Microsoft Teams, because I agree, that is that is fantastic. Um, thank you, Bill Gates. Um, <laughs> mate, I'll just edit this bit out. But do you have time for another couple of quick questions or do you need to shoot away? Yeah, sure. Awesome. Um, just to wrap things up, Grant, I've got a couple of questions that I like to ask everyone towards the end of the conversation. The first is, what was the, the last uncomfortable thing that you did and how did you get through it? I think... In this environment, having my 15-month-old daughter on my conf call yesterday, in fact, on two calls with her, that was pretty uncomfortable for me. And it seems kind of trivial in a way, but I had to let go of my own perfectionism and, and pressure. Like, I had to recognize that I have a family and that while I'm working from home, they're going to be here with me and that's okay. And, you know, nothing bad's going to happen. You might hear some squealing. There could be some wiggles going on in the background and that's okay. That was, it was pretty uncomfortable for me. And I was probably with my perfectionistic legal brain. I was initially really frustrated with that because, but, but, you know, super important stuff was happening around. There was a reason why she had to be there and she was so well behaved. It was amazing. But the discomfort of like, ah, what are people, what are other people going to think? Well, actually, thing and I think that's really cute and they'll be okay with you actually having a personal life that is now interwoven with your work life through necessity and so um, that was uncomfortable but probably good for my personal development yeah my um, my team actually love uh, when our two-year-old comes on the on the conf- on the conference calls with me um, the only problem is is if he, you need to change his nappy part way through Mm. and you're in the middle of something imp- <laughs> saying something important you're like oh hang on yeah. a second <laughs> to, to uh, take it up a level just like take the helicopter up it's really letting go mm. of what used to be normal that's what i found most uncomfortable in the last few weeks and it has been reasonable de- degrees of discomfort for me um but i think it's really good for us yeah yeah i i completely agree um Grant, what's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do and why is that uncomfortable for you? 
I think the uncomfortable thing for me is that although I'm hiding behind, not hiding behind, I'm sitting behind a lot of the stuff that's happening at Spark around mental health in the workplace. So a lot of the resources and the conversations and the sharing that's happening and the events that are being run, I'll stand them up with a team of volunteers who are totally amazing. But the next uncomfortable thing for me is really to get more overtly um, around Spark so that I can share my own story with our people because I am sharing tidbits of it. And I, but, but I think people outside of Spark have almost benefited more from what we're doing in some ways in terms of inspiring and activating their own workplaces. But for me, my next uncomfortable thing is when we get some planes going again to, to get around the country or beforehand um, to stand up something that we're, you know, all hands are welcome, come as you are. This is a time for us to share about mental health and well-being, what we've been doing, what's my why for mental health. Um, you know, I, I would love to, to reach every person at Spark, no matter where they work, no matter what their job is, so that they can know that this mental health stuff really matters to us and so that they can be given some really practical news they can use, some tools for their toolkit to help equip them to better understand their own mental health and get help early and have some great coping strategies and to be able to be here for each other, to be confident and to be, um, to have enough knowledge and skills so that we can be here for each other in a really safe, supportive way and to have the confidence to push past our kiwiness and do that. And that's my own thing of like, well, who am I to be flying around New Zealand or standing up on all hands um, lunch and learn session with everybody at home in lockdown where we can have a totally open conversation where we can connect and share at an organizational level. And so that that's probably my next uncomfortable thing is how do we, how do we turn the dial right up to nine or 10 or 11 on that? And how can I make sure that I'm really part of that rather than um, orchestrating stuff in the background and not, um, not um, sticking my neck out too much. So that, that's, that's big for me. I'm already doing that with other workplaces, but I think um, if I can stand up at, the, at MB and talk to their people about this stuff, I can definitely find a way to do it at Spark. I just, I struggle with, um, I wouldn't normally do these kinds of sessions in remote capability. I much, much prefer to do it in the room. And so again, I'm, I'm struggling with letting go of that old normal and saying, okay, well, now that we might be in lockdown for a few weeks or longer, um, maybe that'd be okay if we tuned the materials enough. Mm. This is going to be an interesting challenge. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing how you go with that. <laughs> Grant, do you have any other strategies that you use to approach uncomfortable situations to help yourself get through them? Um, I think the strategies that have worked have been where I don't just hold on to it myself. I can sometimes navigate my way through really uncomfortable situations on my own, but I have been at my best and have made the best decisions and have had the most profound moments of personal clarity and development where I haven't just been an island. And I think that is something as Kiwis and Kiwi men that we need to get past asking for help it is no drama to ask for some help. And that's not just if you're in a situation where you've got 
mental distress or you're struggling with your mental health and well-being, that is where you've got a really tricky issue and you just need a sounding board and you just need to ask for some help or a steer or, or somebody to listen and to, to work through that with you. So that's, that's, um, that's what I found effective is, not, is, is letting go of me being an island, <laughs> mm. even as we are all little bubbles <laughs> in this yeah. current environment. Yeah. Um, Grant, I've got a couple of other quick questions for you, mate, but I just want to take a moment to say thank you so much for sharing some time with me today. Um, but also mm. thank you as well for the, for the work that you're doing, um, both within Spark, but, but also um, outside of Spark as well. Uh, and, and the work that you're doing in workplaces at the moment, which is going to have a flow on effect for changing New Zealand's mental health and our attitude to mental health. And um, I think it's so important. So I, I really appreciate that, mate. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Next question is quite easy, hopefully. If people want to connect with you uh, and follow along with some of the stuff that you're doing, what's the best way for them to do that? <laughs> At the moment, it's LinkedIn or Bust, really. So yeah. if you just look up Grant Pritchard on LinkedIn, I'll probably come up near the top. Um, I'm, very, I'm, an, I'm an open connector, especially you know, in this mental health space. So don't be afraid to reach out. Um, and I'm sort of sharing on this topic my musings and just um, things that I'm finding are working well. Um, so LinkedIn is definitely the best. Just look for Grant Pritchard on LinkedIn and you'll find me there. Cool, mate. Um, final question for you. Do you have a challenge to leave me and the listeners with this week? Totally. Don't do nothing. So if there's one thing that you could do to help be part of a more mentally healthy future for you and your family, and your community and your school and your workplace. It is to start doing a little something. It is okay to start small. Um, you can't eat an elephant in one bite, but every little thing that you can do to learn, to get people connected, to share, to create spaces for more open conversations about this topic, to reduce the barriers to people asking for help, that will benefit people around you. And you, you just can't underestimate the power of a lot of normal, ordinary people doing little things in their world to help create more mentally healthy spaces. And, you know, for me, in, as workplaces and communities, it's really time for us to come together. This, this is an opportunity for collaboration, not one for competition. And, you know, by sharing what you're doing, you know, I'd say, A, do something. And B, if it works, shout it from the rooftop. <laughs> because I want to steal all your good ideas and use them <laughs> in my workplace, in my community. So if we can share what's working, we can share resources and successes with others, that means that we're not doing that natural Kiwi thing of number eight wire. We'll do it ourselves. I'll just Google that. I'll just, oh, I'll just start from a white piece of paper. We can build and build on what each other's doing. And every time that you do this, it's help kind of it's helping to lean us forward as a country and as workplaces and as in different groups of people towards a much more mentally healthy future that's being created in an efficient way, rather than every workplace in isolation doing something really cool and then not talking about it. I'm like, come on, come on in the water's fine. And by the way, share what you're doing because we would love to hear it and to share the stuff that you're sharing. Mm. Grant Pritchard, thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today.
Thank you. There you have it team, I hope you got as much out of that conversation with Grant as I did. Uh, there are a lot of practical things that I can take away and, and start to think about and start to put into action there. Uh, remember if anything triggered you in that conversation or actually you just feel that you're, you're in a place where you need some help at the moment, in New Zealand call 1737 to do that. If you're overseas, uh, I'm sure there are other services available for you in, in the country that you're in and a quick Google search will, will bring those up for you. I hope everyone's safe. I hope everyone is well. Um, I hope everyone's loved ones and, and friends and family are, are safe and healthy as well during this period of time. As we talked about, there's a lot of duality in this situation that there is. Um, there's some horrible stuff happening, um, but there's also there's also opportunity as well. So make sure that you keep yourself safe uh, and keep looking for opportunities to do things differently, to do things better in this situation as well. Thank you guys so much for getting uncomfortable with me this week and, and spending some time with me in what I know is a trying situation. Uh, thank you to Jyland for your awesome editing skills. Thank you to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music. And I'll see you all again next week.